4: Smoking the lady cigar.
2: The parting of the Red Sea. The blob. The cotton pony. Periods. Periods. That's
4: right, this month is that time of the month.
2: But we're not going to be talking about what periods are or what they mean.
4: And we're certainly not going to be excluding men from the conversation.
2: Hem. English educational system, take note.
4: This bodily function, well, it's been a hot topic for a while now. And it's even seen people...
2: Demonstrating and marching about it all over the world. We're, of course, talking about the tampon tax. The bullshit rule where sanitary items are taxed as a luxury item. Hey, Sid, pay attention. Sorry, I was having a little me time with my tampons.
4: Another reason that we're not going to be excluding men from this conversation is that it's not just women who have periods.
2: And if the tampon tax didn't already suggest it, you have to pay for sanitary items. Yep, that's right. We and the majority
4: of the human population have to pay out for this bodily function. That's
2: going to happen anyway. But it's all right, though. At least in general, all genders are paid the same, right? Oh, wait. You also need a bathroom or a private place to use sanitary items. But what happens if you're homeless? Let's meet the guests and find out.
0: Laura, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. So my name's Laura Carton and I self-identify as a woman and yeah, I'm really happy to be here. You're here as an activist, Mm -hmm. so what are you campaigning for? Um, well, I run the End Tampon Tax campaign, which is basically campaigning to end sanitary tax on items such as tampons, as well as like panty liners and menstrual cups, which are currently on those items at 5%. And yeah, I've been running that for the past two years or so, even though the movement's been going for longer than that. It's been going for like decades. But
4: Really? I didn't know it'd been
0: going for decades. Yeah, yeah I didn't know that either, actually, until I basically started this petition on Change.org. And then I went home to my um, parents' house and saw my friends from school. And one of my friends from school's mum came up to me and she was like, "Oh, I was campaigning for this when I was your age." <laughs> I was. Like, oh. what?
2: So, so why do you think it's so prominent in the media now? Or does it just feel that way?
0: Well, I think it's prominent because we've been like going about this campaigning in the sense that we're like attacking the period taboo, so like attacking the fact that women feel kind of embarrassed by periods and they don't really want to talk about it menstruation very much. I think that's why this campaign has taken so long to succeed, because if people don't want to talk about menstruation, how can you talk about unfair things that are to do with it, like tampon tax?
4: Why are you so passionate about this? What got you into campaigning against the tampon tax?
0: Well, actually, I initially realised it exists and then I was like, oh, well, it must be justifiable because if the government back it, surely it must have some logic, <laughs> which is kind of stupid because I think there are lots of things that doesn't actually turn out to be true. So anyway, I sort of like looked into the tax system a little bit more. And realised that things like crocodile meat, horse meat, which obviously no one eats in, in England anyway, and like maintaining your private jets aren't taxed, but then tampons are. It just seemed like ridiculous. So I was like, well, maybe in context, if everything else is taxed more, it might make more sense.
2: So, those things that you just mentioned, they mm-hmm. are in the eyes of the law considered a necessity, and that's why they're not taxed. Is that right?
0: Exactly, yeah. And they are all not taxed because they are seen as essential. That just like blows my
4: mind. Yeah. Like, how can crocodile meat be essential? But like me, bleeding is not essential at all. in what world? I don't do you know about in? you.
2: I have crocodile meat every Wednesday
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> more regularly than I flow.
0: <laughs> but like also that sort of like implies that women getting involved with public life, like working, maintaining themselves, isn't essential as well, which is probably yeah. a worse message than just saying your tampons aren't.
2: Exactly. So how have you been going about it? Well, we've
0: kind of been attacking this on all fronts. So we've got like we've been blogging, or you know, going on social media, but also like protesting on the street, meeting with MPs, doing podcasts, <laughs> stuff like that. So yeah, I think a lot of online activism kind of like stays online, but I think they're always more effective if you like bleed into the streets. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so before you were lobbying George Osborne because he was the then Chancellor. Yeah. Yeah. Chancellor, Okay. Of the director, yeah. But now, obviously, everything has changed in the current government. So how have you had to adapt to that?
0: Well, presumably, now we've got a female prime minister, this will make it a little bit easier for us. Because we had a quote from um, Obama who talked about the tampon tax in America anyway. We've got an American sister campaign. Um, And he was saying that this tax probably exists because men made the laws when these kind of taxes came through and they just basically didn't understand and women weren't represented in parliament so they couldn't kind of give an alternative perspective. But now we have that alternative perspective leading our parliament. Surely that will make a difference, hopefully anyway. But apart from that, we're just going to, you know, lobby Hammond as much as we did uh, Osborne and hope that makes a difference. And really what we're hoping for now is initially to get him on board. So at least to get like some kind of a response from him, because we had a few responses from Osborne saying that he would commit to ending tampon tax. But obviously now he's no longer the Chancellor, that isn't necessarily valid anymore. So we need a similar response from Hammond, really, to make a difference. Okay, but your petition
2: was successful.
0: Well, this is where it gets really complicated. So it was successful in that we have put an amendment forward in Parliament. So Paula Sheriff, Labour MP, she amended the legislation that said sanitary tax isn't essential and should and should be taxed basically and she amended that to say that it no longer should be taxed and that went through parliament and we had um, there's a vote on it and it all went through so it's currently going through the houses of parliament but that process takes a while so like my concern at the moment is that it will be dropped potentially if public pressure doesn't like keep on it just because then there will be no incentive for the politicians to pull it through if people already think they've done it then why would they bother doing it do you know what I mean So what change are
4: we hoping to see? You know, what's the real world application of this going to be? Well,
0: that's like a question we were really struggling with at the beginning because we just thought, well, if the tax is lowered, then the only people that are going to benefit from this this are like uh, Boots or Superdrug or whatever. Like they're the ones that are going to benefit from the change in price, for example, that they'll get. But we've had... I think it is sixteen major stores, including Boots, Tesco, Superdrug, that have said that they will actually physically lower the prices of their tampons. So hopefully, we'll see the benefit rather than them.
2: And that's tampons and panty liners and moon cups and things like that too.
0: Yeah, yeah, all of them. Yeah.
2: How has Britain voting to leave the EU changed any of this?
0: Well, I hate to say this, but it has kind of made it easier. I, like, I was absolutely devastated. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but um. Yeah, it has kind of made it easier just in that EU regulation initially made it more difficult because the EU regulates tax across the continent, across all member states. And they basically said that if we want to lower any more items to 0% rated tax, we have to go through the EU and every single member state has to agree on that change okay you see what I mean so now we don't have to go through that process which I guess is one of the only good things to come out of us leaving but (laughs) so yeah basically it was also really frustrating because any politician we would talk to about this issue would say well we have nothing to do with it Westminster don't have any powers this is down to the EU and it is down to Westminster politicians now to change it so so we could get it tomorrow we well we could do yeah I mean as I say like the legislation is going through but yeah I guess it could go through tomorrow.
2: <laughs> Does this mean other countries in Europe do have the tampon tax or a tax like that?
0: Yeah and it's so much worse across the continent like it is yeah in Romania they have a twenty seven percent sanitary tax rate. Oh, wow it's insane the average rate across the continent is twenty two percent. Also some of the countries are I don't know if proud is the right word but kind of proud of having the tax so for example. Yeah, like leaders in France have said outright that they will not axe the tax because they make too much money from it. You essentially, me. yeah, essentially saying that they're proud that they are capitalising from sexism, like, and they're cool with that. So it's like, how do you respond to that? You just said it so well. You're capitalising off of sexism. Yeah, and so openly as well. We've got um, a French sister petition, and that's run by an amazing team of women, and they're just finding it really hard. In France specifically, but I mean, I mean, it's not just France,
2: I don't want to
0: seem mean to them, but like, <laughs>
2: a like a, yeah,
4: Sid's French, so
2: yeah, <laughs> French, but to be honest, if they deserve it, then I say bring it, <laughs> yeah. A lot of other countries
0: as well across, um, well, I mean, Australia have been the worst, like, most difficult at least to, to axe tampon tax.
2: So actually, we've made real progress in the fact that it's passing the initial stages, and unfortunately, but it is made easier because of Brexit,
0: and we have already reduced our uh, tampon tax rate. So initially it was 21% and then
2: it got changed in 2001 to the 5% that it is today. So there was this point where George Osborne was like, oh, I'll just take the money from the tax and I'll just give it to women's charities. What did you think of that? Uh, It was so annoying. Like, it was annoying
0: because a lot of people couldn't see why it was annoying. (laughs) So firstly, it was annoying because... A lot of the charities he was talking about are like rape charities, for example, and women shouldn't have to pay for being protected and stuff. Spot on. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it's not our responsibility to deal with these issues that are, you know, responsibility of the whole of society to deal with. But also, the actual process was really unfair, and a lot of charities were really annoyed by it because five million of this fifteen million pound fund was given to, I think it was Sports Relief before the application process even began. Oh. which seems really dodgy. And also, like, sports relief has nothing to do with tampons or women. So, not, not nothing to do with women, but it's got nothing to do with women specifically, if you see what I mean. And then also the applications came out and then the deadline was set two weeks after they came out so smaller Mm. charities had no time whatsoever to prepare for this
2: so at the moment the tax we're paying that is still going to the charities is it
0: yeah well theoretically yeah (laughs) yeah so the charities that have got the first round of funding yeah it will go towards them
2: okay
4: what type of people tend to engage in your campaign do you have any men engaging in the tampon tax or is it just women
0: we've had some men i have male friends that have got involved and also we've had some men get involved in this is going to sound weird but like the technical side of it so we've had some random guys email in giving us statistics and stuff that's been really helpful and we do have some men statistics about periods yeah so like statistics about the tax specifically and how, okay so like when we figured out how much it cost osborne and this 15 million pound figure was helped by a guy that you meld in. We do have some men come on our marches, but it's, like,
4: maybe one or two. Do you think that these kind of campaigns need to have more men as allies? Like, rightly, it's not an issue that affects people who were assigned male at birth, but,
0: you know, we need all the allies we can get, sort of thing. I totally agree. And it's also, like, part of this campaign is about widening the conversation to make women feel like they don't have to be ashamed of periods, because it's ridiculous that we do. So, yeah, I think that men getting involved with that widening the conversation is important and it won't necessarily succeed without them so I think it's yeah I think it's really important
2: what about other people who have periods but don't necessarily define as women so for example they could identify as men but they would still have periods or they might identify as like genderqueer or non-binary is that something that you think about with your campaign it's not meant as as a as a mean question it's like people have periods and it's stereotypically always seen as a women's issue.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And it's really interesting that you ask that because we've had some really interesting responses from this kind of issue. So like I try to keep the wording in our petition like as non-gendered as possible. Okay. And initially I I wrote a little tag about like, oh, men and women who have periods. Yeah. And I had so many complaints, like emailed in and put on our Facebook because of our our campaign's got a Facebook page, um, put on that Facebook page as well, just saying that, like, men don't have anything to do with this and they're trying to get involved, blah, blah, blah. It was just so weird. So then I changed it to women, or and then I used, like, a transgender term as well. And then I had people being annoyed at me because I'm using like gender terms or transgender terms it's really so now I'm just trying not to be gendered (laughs) just to like avoid complaints and stuff but to me that like people complain then I don't really mind I'd rather be gender inclusive and stuff but so how many people would you say are roughly involved in this campaign well I think not including our American um, campaigns because that's sort of run quite separately we've got about like 500,000 signature supporters anyway across Europe and also in Australia. But then, yeah, our home teams in each country sort of consist of between, like, two and maybe, like, ten people. Mm. Like, for example, our French campaign has a whole system of women. It's amazing. That's probably our best-run campaign. But then, for example, the American campaign is run by this... Single woman who is insanely amazing, and she just <laughs> storms America and does it all. She's great. But um for example, this uh, my campaign anyway in England. So there's me, and then there's also my sister and a few of my mates as well. I've got involved in the like organising aspects of it. But then we've also got like smaller fractions. So we've got people that are campaigning in their universities and in their local towns and, and villages as well. So that's great. How important is it
4: then for kind of women to stick together on these sorts of issues? Because I've read quite a few articles or journalists who are women who have kind of slated it and have been a bit like, well, there's more important things to deal with in the world, you know, like yeah. pay an extra 10p on your tampons. But come on, you're a woman, like show solidarity. Yeah. Like how important is that?
0: Yeah, it is it is really important. And that argument's come up quite a lot. This whole campaign is about more than just money. I mean, it's, it's not great that women have to pay more. But it's also about this idea that this tax alienates women and it tells women that like they don't matter in politics and that they have been sidelined. And more importantly, they can't address that sideline. So they can't talk about periods and they can't talk about this issue that has been marginalizing them just because this issue is essentially like has been associated anyway with women exclusively and therefore... It won't change. We partner with the fifty fifty campaign, which is trying to get more women in Parliament and better female representation. And they always say that this is just the tip of the iceberg. And it's and it's so true. So how can we get involved? Like, how can we support you? Our central campaign is on the Change.org site. So that's just Change.org um, slash N10Pontax. And, and if you sign up to that, then we give out emails um, maybe once a week or more than that if something centrally is going on. And then we'll let you guys know, really. So at the moment, we've got a push to just get some kind of reaction from the new prime minister Theresa May and the new chancellor of the Exchequer, um, Hammond, and just to get them to sort of commit to ending tampon tax and making sure this legislation does go through Parliament through like Twitter or www. Write them and that's just like a writing to your MP site that you can go through because we've done that before and it's been really really effective if lots of people get on Twitter and just like harass politicians maybe harass is the wrong word then Gently yeah nudge, nudge <laughs> yeah, firm. yeah that is a lot better <laughs> <laughs> then usually we get some kind of a commitment from them which is really what we want. Facebook is Stop Taxing Our Periods and Twitter's a bit weird, actually. It's Sam the Croc, because that used to be our mascot, but we changed it, so it doesn't really make much sense. (laughs) Yeah, it's just um, at Sam the Croc. So what's been the toughest thing about running this
4: campaign over the past two years?
0: Probably just upsetting people like I've never been involved with politics before or like campaigning really yeah it's hard not to upset people also it goes both ways So on the one hand you don't want to annoy people by saying the wrong thing using the wrong gender terms or not being inclusive in any way or whatever but then you also get articles about the tampon tax and then obviously like people comment on it and I've had quite a lot of just general abuse because I'm a woman and talking about periods Mm. so people like trolling and I didn't expect that at all just because I started this campaign thinking it was about two things that people didn't really talk about which is taxation and menstruation (laughs) (laughs) it wouldn't really get anywhere do you have any advice for other young women
4: or like self-identifying women who want to get into kind of activism but get a backlash
0: because they're women the main thing anyway that my mum told me was that like trolls and people that are giving you hate because you're a woman talking about women's issues, they totally exemplify what you're trying to fight against and they should give you more power and tell you what you're doing is right and there is a reason why you're doing what you're doing. Just take strength in the trolls that you get. Know that what you're doing is okay, keep going basically, just keep going. Does having a support network help? Definitely, yeah. Yeah. Our campaign legitimises other campaigns, for example, in Romania that have a 27% sandwich tax rate. So, yeah, they definitely help and our campaigners across the world in our different campaigns are amazing as well, so seeing them succeed really helps as well. So what's been the best thing about running
4: (laughs) such a successful and, and, you know, in the media campaign?
0: It probably has to be, like, connecting with people that really want to make change and helping them out with that as well. Uh, So, like, we had a sister campaign in Canada, and that was, like, an amazing campaign, and um, it won within, like, two months. It was crazy. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, helping them do, like, their research and giving them confidence in doing what they're doing and just, like... Yeah, helping those sort of changes be pushed through that really will help a lot of people because I think in Canada that their um, tampon tax rate was in the 20%, can't remember exactly, between 20 and 25. So that made a real difference anyway to the pricings of um, sanitary taxes as well as the social advantages of it. How did it feel when, I guess, that amendment
4: went through that the Houses of Parliament, I don't really know how it works, mm. but then that, it
0: was going to be like debated or is going to go through, how did that feel? Well, this kind of almost happens so many times. So I just thought, oh, it probably won't actually happen. So then it wasn't really until the morning after it happened that I was like, oh, wait, it's kind of happened now. And I'm still quite, like, pessimistic. I still feel like yeah. it, it might fall through just because um, our sister coming in Texas, that fell through. So, yeah, I'm still not completely celebrating until it actually is sealed by the Queen.
2: <laughs> by the Queen, who is a I, woman. Probably has had periods. <laughs>
0: right. She probably can say the word tampon and like most MPs, but never mind. But I'm really happy about it anyway. The amount of support it's gotten from MPs generally has been good, so. That's interesting that you've had a lot of support from MPs because most MPs tend to be men. Yeah, well, I say we've had lots of support. We've not had like active MPs going against it, if you see what I mean. A lot of MPs have been quite quiet about it. We've had a few MPs that have been really, really good female MPs, albeit, but... I expected, to be honest, that more MPs would be more vocal about being against it, but... I was going to ask, have you experienced anyone actively being like, no, we should keep the tampon tax?
2: Apart from the French. (laughs)
4: <laughs> apart from the front. okay we'll leave you out <laughs> have you ever
0: engaged with anyone that's been like no we should keep the tampon tax i haven't engaged in any mps that have said that but average people yeah like i've had quite a lot of people tweet and be like this still doesn't make any difference like you should just be quiet and keep the tax blah blah, blah blah just no like no one's given any like actual reasons not to end the tampon tax so surprise um, surprise yeah
2: What's it like when uh, you convince someone who thinks it's a non-issue that it's actually something important that they should at least sign their name to?
0: Yeah, it's great as well just getting people to realise that it is an example of everyday sexism and then Mm. realise why that's a bad thing. Just because there are so many examples of sexism that people just don't see as sexism. What tips would you give
2: to someone who was thinking of starting up their own campaign?
0: Be really clear in what you want to succeed in or what what your aim is and why you're also doing it and also just get like a couple people on your side so that if you do need to ask somebody oh is this right or not like you have that support system in place so that's good so like i had my sister when i first started the campaign and two of my housemates as well
4: so are there any other projects or anything that you want to officially plug anything that's
2: in the making that you want to shout out
0: as i say like we partner with the fifty fifty campaign so that's good and um, do you want to
2: tell us a bit more about the 50 50 campaign because i don't think yeah, everyone sure. will
0: know Go sure so um the 50 50 campaign is basically run by someone called francis got and she's trying to make better female representation within parliament and therefore hopefully we'll have better laws and things like tampon tax won't happen and therefore they won't exist but she basically wants parliament to be full of 50-50 men and women. So how does she go about that and how does your campaign support that? So she also has a change to org petition. She's actually got like a formal organisation, so whereas mine I just do mine in my spare time. Hers is actually a um, full-time thing. Yeah. So she like goes to schools and does talks and yeah, gets involved mainly with young people, encouraging girls at school to like take interest in politics and potentially take up as a
2: career later. I guess you could kind of be seen as the entryway people might get interested in politics yeah. and then the idea is that then you think about great, now you now you signed up to this petition what about greater representation so that this stuff doesn't happen Yeah,
0: exactly also like we're sort of a symptom of having yeah. bad rep- well not bad representation but you know not great representation of women within parliament um, in terms of just the sheer numbers of female MPs
2: so 50-50 is the remedy
0: yeah, I guess
4: so, hopefully anyway. This is kind of off track, but I saw this great advert where it was like blood doesn't hold women back. And it was basically, if you watch any like Always or Tampon advert, the little liquid that they use is blue. So nice. You know, it's so sanitised, there's no blood in it. But then this one advert, it was like showing women like doing exercise and falling over and they've got like these massive gashes on their legs. And it's kind of like an educational thing. Like I remember when I was in year six and I was learning about periods and it was just kind of, you know... Watching a girl like jump over a, a gymnastics box thing, and it was like, Oh, she has a period, like use a tampon. I don't know, it was really bizarre. <laughs> it was the, the worst education. So, do you yeah. think we need to do more in terms of educating girls
0: and boys and every other gender identity about periods? Yeah, I think that's so important. And that's something that annoys me like on a daily basis, those adverts are so irritating. Mm. But also, I think like um, when you're in the classroom, like learning about it in primary school or whatever when you're partitioned from guys you know they always put the guys in one room and they have the girls in the other room talking about periods I have no idea what the guys are talking about but still I think it's important to teach like both girls and boys about periods like why shouldn't the guys know about it and also like separating guys and girls tells girls that they have to be separate from guys whenever they're talking about periods and somehow it has to be like a secret issue that shouldn't be talked about if there's a male in the room like it's just so weird And then that makes women, yeah, more ashamed about periods from a very young age, which isn't great, isn't Mm it? Yeah, that pisses me off
2: too. Is there anything that you would like you haven't mentioned you think is important?
0: Oh, we're actually, that's, yeah, that'd be great, actually. So we're just partnering with a new charity called The Eve Appeal. I don't know if you guys have heard of them. And they basically um, raise awareness of gynecological cancers because they receive like 0.5% of cancer funding just because nobody wants to talk about them. We're hoping to like start super campaigning anyway in September time. (laughs) Excellent. Such a kick-ass guest. Yeah, yeah. thank Thank you you so much for coming on, Laura.
2: (laughs) That was Laura explaining everything that is to do with taxation when the decorators are in. Uh-huh, you get me. Up next is Lysander. He's going to bust some myths about periods. Lysander, would <laughs> yeah. you like to introduce yourself?
1: OK, my name's Lysander. I prefer the pronouns he, him, and I identify as a trans man.
4: When oh, did you realise that you identified as a trans man?
1: I kind of always knew, but before, you know, I'm quite old, so it's like I didn't realise the words until slightly later and it took me until I was about 40 when I came out.
4: So how old are you now? 50. So it's been quite a journey these past 10 years. Yeah. Were you previously living as like a cisgendered woman before?
1: Kind of. (laughs) I mean everyone would often presume just by the way I looked I didn't have a beard then, I nice, was like, shaved. But everyone thought I was just a gay man. Mm. By the way, I looked, my style and whatnot, I suppose my mannerisms, etc. But when I was 40, it was a case of actually... And even, like, partners, they would kind of know that I wasn't and friends would kind of know that I wasn't suspended in a way. When I was younger, there wasn't really the language about it. So I just waited until it was like, actually now I'm coming up to 40 time to like stop mugging them out and being something that I never felt I was.
4: Becoming aware of the language was key.
1: Yeah and even just knowing I mean as a teenager and whatnot I knew about trans women because of various famous cases that would get into like newspapers and stuff but I actually didn't realise the could be such a thing as a trans man
4: so is there anything that you wished that you'd maybe would have had more exposure to younger or are you happy with it and you wouldn't change anything
1: in a way I wouldn't change anything just because I had a really good well right I had a really good well, I had a really good sex life <laughs> and because you know I was on the dyke scene and stuff and I'm very feminist so it really suited me and it kind of suited my ideas around empowerment around not just women but especially lesbians and equality in gay equality etc. So I'm kind of happy with the way everything went as opposed to transitioning younger. However if there had been the knowledge when I was younger that there is now I would have transitioned when I was like 20 easy or as soon as possible. Yeah.
4: Do you use the men's toilets then? Yeah. So you're a trans man, does that mean that you still have a period or menstruation?
1: I do, because I'm not on testosterone for various reasons. So, yeah, I still get periods, unfortunately.
2: Unfortunately. I'm sure many, many people who have periods would agree with that, unfortunately. (laughs) So if a trans person was to take testosterone, that would stop their periods?
1: Yeah, it takes, depending on the person, up to a few months, but they tend to stop Although, if people miss testosterone shots for any length of time, they get them back.
2: Okay. And if you could have the option of no longer having periods, would you choose it?
1: Yep. (laughs) Yeah, it would have been my main reason for taking testosterone because I've already got a beard, I pass, as as they say, but I've always hated periods, like really hated them and had them bad.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
4: Are you comfortable explaining why you're not on testosterone?
1: It's various things to do with the fact that I've got high testosterone and it's NHS taking forever about things. I see.
4: So, if you're in the men's toilet then, does that affect how you look after your period or how you attend to your period?
1: Yeah, because most public men's toilets aren't really equipped. So it depends where you go, like if you go to most men's toilets. There's rarely even a bin or anything like that. I could flush things down, but I know that then I used to live in Brighton, so I know they end up in the sea, which is not ideal. But yeah, you have to sort of have, I usually have like a little plastic bag that I shove in my pocket and then I just have to sort of find a bin at some point.
2: So you have to carry it round with you afterwards? Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah, it can be really awkward.
2: I know it's a necessity, but what does that feel like?
1: awful yeah because it would be useful if if there was more bins just bins in men's toilets or something
4: is it also a safety risk maybe if you're in the toilet and someone could hear you maybe rustling something
1: well yeah because rustling can sound like a lot of things so there's that problem there's also if it's really heavy and (laughs) as even after you flush there's that little bit at the point you think oh god please don't let somebody come in straight after me.
4: So have you ever considered anything like birth control? Because I know that sometimes they can help alleviate periods, make them lighter, can stop them, or is that they've got extra hormones in them? Yeah, it?
1: that's the reason why I don't, because I think it's oestrogen, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs>
2: that would make sense then. You don't want the oestrogen. No. So what's it like accessing sanitary items? Most of them are in the shop. They're very pink. They're very feminine. And I'm, I'm doing inverted commas here.
1: I have a bit of a problem. It's okay if it's like in a supermarket and the aisle's kind of clear and I'm getting other things and I will hide it under the, you know, sort of box of tampons. i just hide under things and then go to self-checkout. But when you're sort of caught short, say... And you have to go into like a chemist and you're going to the counter. And there might be a queue behind you and you pull it on a thing. And you do. I do it if I have to, but sometimes I've been known just to think, oh God, no, I can't. Just yeah. Luckily, I've got an amazing flatmate who, when even one of us is doing the shop, when she is, I would say, oh, can you get some tampons? Because it's so much easier. Although men would, I suppose, buy them for their female member of their family or partner or something. For me, I still feel awkward. You pretend like you don't know what you're looking for yeah. and things. If somebody's looking at you, it's like, oh, oh, I wonder. <laughs> when well, I know full well.
2: <laughs> because you look, like you said, you passed, because yeah. you've got facial hair, you've got quite a deep voice. When you go to the shop, do people make comments about like, oh, you're buying this for your girlfriend?
1: No, nobody really mentions anything to do with periods or sanitary products ever
2: In general, yeah. in yeah. life really <laughs> so,
1: But you know, you'll, you, you will get the sort of quizzical look occasionally
2: And obviously quite a few trans men will be taking testosterone So they yeah. won't have their periods Yeah. But like you said, depending on when they've started it But also people who identify as non-binary mm. And who might be using men's toilets Yeah. That's definitely something that would affect them too
1: Yeah, and also there will be always that time when you don't medically transition but you identify as trans and therefore there will always be like a period of time when you will need to access it. And also, as I say, if you were to miss however many T-shots, you will have one and know, I've known that to happen to like people and it's freaked them out somewhat but then they thought, well, oh, now what do I do?
4: There are other ways to stop periods, aren't yeah. there? You can maybe have like a hysterectomy or something but it's quite invasive. Yeah. Has that ever like crossed your mind?
1: I'm not really one for operations. I had one when I was young and I'd rather keep my operations to the ones which I would have like top surgery and I know hysterectomies are hardcore unless I had to medically do it I'd rather not.
4: What's it like then? Do you see periods and menstruation as an inherently feminine thing? Or is it more of a biological thing? You don't associate it with being a woman or femininity, it's just a bodily function.
1: Yeah, I think when they started, I just freaked out. I I realised, what is it, 14? And it's oh no, now I'm stuck with this female thing. (laughs) Yeah, But since I've transitioned, it's not that I see it as a female thing, I see it as a biological thing that annoys me every month or so.
2: Are you privy to any conversations by men about periods? Because people would look at you and assume there wasn't something that affected you.
1: Not often, because I don't think men mention it if they possibly can (laughs) you know and also when they
3: there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you
1: talking about it with disgust they freak out and you think well if you know any women in your life they have them be sympathetic and just take it as it is you know it's the same as anything else that people have you know any biological function
4: yeah Yeah, so So, really we should be including everyone in the conversation not just girls at school but like including everyone so that not just that men can comfortably talk about it.
1: Well, yeah, because PMT, there's period pains and lack of energy, etc., yeah. etc., et cetera. And that should be understood. I mean, there's been a whole thing to do with sports where people wonder why, oh, why aren't they playing so well at the tennis match or something? And it's usually you can tell that they've probably got their period. There should be more allowances for it.
2: What kind of comments have you heard? Can you remember any?
1: Nothing I can remember specifically, but it is usually, oh, Disgust. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, they really would rather not talk about it if anyone brings it up. Yeah.
4: Yeah, I've that it's more kind of dismissive things like, oh, it must be your time of the month, or they kind of mm. make jokes, you know. it's yeah,
1: yeah, and in that sort of it's, it's misogynist way, and it mm. is a thing of, you know, sort of somebody can't have an emotion or anything like that without it being related to, oh, well, that's periods. oh, your time in your month, oh, you must be PMT, just because a woman gets a bit angry. I mean, it's Mm. but I think that's just men generally quite often, not all men, but quite often being dismissive of women.
2: How does that feel to hear comments about periods being so disgusted and dismissive?
1: The blokes that tend to do that, their opinions are usually dodgy about a lot of things and I tend to just dismiss their opinion. I, I just sort of think, well, grow up and learn something
4: so there's um, the tampon tax it's a tampon tax 5% do you, you as a trans person feel included in these conversations because they're quite heavily rallying women but you know it's not just women that have periods
1: yeah I think if it was to mainly specifically be around women there might be more political will behind getting the taxation stock just because of equality issues I think if they were to include also includes non-binary people and some trans men I would fear that the powers that be would just start dismissing it more really yeah just because of why you're bringing that in will do it because it's male female equality issue
4: that almost sounds like the kind of history of what trans people and non-binary and genderqueer people tend to go through is that as soon as it involves them, they're kind of like the butt of the joke or they're dismissed. You know, apparently in medical school, there are like trans medical courses that you can take to deal with trans care, but they're not compulsory. They're absolutely optional. And it's just kind of like people forget about that. And I feel like that's kind of the narrative that we've heard consistently
1: our rights are still less than most people it's still a fight and also just a general ignorance of trans people and how we're discriminated against is common however that's a different fight that's our fighter and our allies fight to improve but yeah you know you can imagine the horrible jokes that would come about and they would therefore be fighting that as well as for the campaign and i think get rid of the taxation or even to make them free on the nhs or something is more important. Just for everybody that needs them
4: so how does that make you feel your voice as a trans man is not being included in conversations that you have a place in
1: i would like people to understand that yes non-binary people trans people trans men are part of conversation but just on a personal level i think that the vast majority of people who talk about periods have periods are gonna be AFAB women who live as women. There'll be women who were assigned female at birth and are happy cisgendered women. So on that political level, I'm not that worried about not being included, but as long as we are not left behind.
2: so. Given the choice when you're on your period, do you go for the men's toilets? Or are you ever tempted to go for the women's, knowing that there's more likely to have a sanitary bin in there? Because I realise we just assumed that you would use the men's.
1: I mean, in queer spaces, it tends not to matter so much. But anywhere else, I would get kicked out. Or I would cause women to think, why are you in here? Hmm. I mean, I've always had that anyway, but it would be even more so now because there's no way I look like a woman right now
2: we've talked a lot about periods and you've been so wonderful at answering them all and particularly because they're very like biological questions but is there anything you want us to tell us Tell us and the listeners about like you as a person Because we focus on one very small part of you know Something that probably isn't actually even a part of your identity most of the time
1: My general life is really good (laughs) I work various places I have an active social life to say the least And yeah I'm involved in various communities Especially around the queer community and the performance community So yeah apart from those few days when I just feel like death (laughs) um, I have a really good life of an age where they might end up stopping anyway because of yeah. menopause hooray <laughs> <laughs> so you're looking forward to it I I am
4: how can we, how can Sydney and, and the listeners be allies to stuff like this?
1: I think it's just like an awareness that just because somebody is either trans male-identified, non-binary, identified that they don't know or they don't experience periods and so when somebody says, oh actually I can't come out tonight because I feel awful instead of looking shocked or horrified or you know, like some people will do, having sympathy the same as anybody else would like sympathy and also the offer for somebody who is cisgender female or something to go and get, oh, do you want me to get some extra tampons while I'm going to get some? Just because I think that's one of the most embarrassing things for anyone to have to deal with.
2: Excellent. Anytime you need tampons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just hit us up. Or any other kind of sanitary item.
1: <laughs> As I say, my experience is my experience. And of course, a lot of trans men don't have periods and it's maybe something they wouldn't want to talk about because that's past life. So, yeah, it's not something that you should ever ask a trans person, a trans man or a non-binary person. Never assume that they have them, but don't assume that they don't.
2: Do you have anything that you're working on that you'd like to plug? It could be totally anything at all.
1: Well, because I'm involved with Bar Whatever and Whatever World events, we have weekly Tuesday nights, at the Royal Vauxhall Tavern between 7 and midnight. We have amazing performances, music. It's a lovely queer venue with lovely queer crowd so if you just check the Whatever World pages and come along and be entertained for very little money.
2: Excellent thank you so so much Lysander you've been such a kick-ass guest and thank you so much for talking about something that's so personal also.
1: That's okay.
4: That was Lysander chatting to us about the leak week now let's talk to Stephanie who tells us what it's like to surf the crimson wave when you're homeless.
3: So my name is Stephanie Steph or Jimmy. Um, Jimmy is I'd say like a stage name um, and that's the name I go by when I write or if I'm performing poetry or um, producing events and hosting them. Um, I'm very much about connecting community and connecting people and providing platforms for them. Oh yeah, I'm heterosexual. I'm joining seven. I'm a woman. Thank you. That was brilliant. Yeah, quick facts there, I like
4: it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So we brought you on to this podcast today to talk about your work with the homeless period. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us, what is the Homeless Period?
3: So the Homeless Period, it's a volunteer-led project that basically supports um, and provides homeless women and vulnerable women with sanitary products because that's it's one element of homelessness that is very much undiscussed, you know, and so because it's not discussed, it's not tackled or, or considered an issue, so there's no provision for that. Um, so what the Homeless Period do is we produce these products and we you know raise donations make up um, sanitary bags which are filled with different items and distribute them to women who may be refugees um, young adults who may be homeless.
4: How did you get into work like this?
3: Uh, So as I mentioned earlier I'm a poet and I was performing at an event for international women's day the charity that was running the event they were raising donations for a london-based project um similar to the homeless period um, project and i was just really interested in what they were doing and contacted homeless period and these guys are actually based like the headquarters are based in um, the west midlands and they didn't actually have a london site so i just said you know do you mind if i take it on in london and they were like yeah most definitely we we want as many people as we can to be supported. So how do you find the people that need the access to sentry items? It's hard. One thing I always say is, if you notice, you don't see many women on the streets who are homeless, and that's because most of them are taking whatever they need to take in order to find some kind of shelter. What we've done is we've connected with um, a variety of different, I'd say, projects that basically work with women who might be, um, it's really weird to say, but sex slave group, Those women genuinely are homeless, but they're just taken to different cities and forced to, obviously, work. So we contact them. We work with homeless shelters and refugee um, organisations. So we connect with them to ensure that everybody from as many communities isn't without. That's generally how we find them and, honestly, just roaming the streets. A lot of homeless women don't like to appear homeless. So you may not realise that you're sitting next to a homeless woman... You know, and it's the stereotype that we have of homeless people, we expect them to smell, we expect them to look run down or haggard and have, like, you know, marks on their face, as well as have some kind of, like, disorder of some kind. So it might be, like, a mental health disorder or it might be, you know, they might be an addict of some kind. And that's our expectation. But as women who are homeless, that's a surefire way not to be protected and not to be safeguarded. So a lot of homeless women that I've spoken to They tend to go into McDonald's 24 hours, have a wash in there. You know, they go to charities and ask for clothes to be donated to them. So they look a bit more presentable so that society doesn't nudge them out and make them invisible. And also so that if they do decide that they want to um, ensure some kind of like shelter for the night, that they've got their best face on, if that makes sense.
4: Also presumably so that they look less vulnerable. Mm
3: -hmm. Because I can
4: imagine being a woman on the street, like women in everyday life are kind of taken advantage of anyway. Most definitely. Let alone a woman on the
3: streets. Mm-hmm. Yep, you're, you're right there. Absolutely right. I think there was one lady who I spoke to outside Stratford shopping centre, not the Westfields, the old centre. She was with her dog. She was like, my dog's my god. If not for him, I'm sure I would like have had worse experiences than I've had already. It's weird because when you think about it, when you're homeless or when you are... rough sleeper and you're a woman you're a different kind of vulnerable because there's a desperation that you have you know to just to to have warmth to have food to have shelter
4: i just wanted to ask quickly you mentioned um sex slave groups
3: yes human trafficking
4: so it's human trafficking yeah
3: sorry used the wrong term but yeah
4: so it's not, you know, like voluntary sex work?
3: Some are voluntary sex work, of course. However, the projects that we're able to connect with, we do so primarily with women who are who have been enlisted and forced into the sex day through human trafficking solely because, I think it was one of the stories, a lady that I met mentioned, and she was like um, that the women that she supports, she may see them twice in her whole life and never see them again, and some of the things that they say to her... Um, with regards to when they're on their menstrual cycle, they are costing the people who have had the audacity to call them property. They're costing their money, so like they're closed for business almost, oh obviously. God. But then there are some. But then there are some women who have said there are men who want them to be on their periods.
4: Yeah, it's kind of like a fetish, I it, guess.
3: As much you know, and so there's there's all of that. You know, there's that group of women that people don't often. When you think of human trafficking, you think oh, these poor people, these poor children, these poor women, these poor men who've been taken into um, their shadows now, they no longer have a name, they've been ripped from their families, but then you forget about the basic necessities that they may need and that aren't supported or aren't given to them simply because it's not important.
4: How do you How do you find, like, an underground sex trafficker or human people who've been trafficked?
3: It's hard, to say the least. I think we've... In London we have three... One of them was literally, as I mentioned, the lady I met two or three years ago, I met her two or three years ago and just happened to remember our meeting, found her online, told what we were doing now and was able to connect with her that way. The other two have been so, it was so hard, so hard because obviously they need to maintain their safety because, you know, you're effectively messing with people who are networked around the world. And who could do you real damage. What are the health risks or issues if periods aren't tended to? A lot of our research has been based on the fact that homeless women tend to have to reuse their sanitary products. So, exactly. Yeah, for the
4: listeners we just pulled the most grimmest faces. And that's better than not using
3: anything at all? It's not better than not using anything at all, but in order for them to minimize Almost the the clean-up, if that makes sense. And I'm going to be a bit... Go for it. Be as graphic as you want. Okay. You might be um, a homeless woman and you've not bathed in months. Your clothes are soiled from weather, pollution, sleeping on the floor, times where you've urinated on yourself, when you've done number two or number three, because obviously your diet is a mess as well, so your store will also be, um, I say, a, a mess. Where you've had people urinate on you, where you've had animals and all this type of stuff, so you have all this on your clothes, in your hair and whatever, and you're able to get maybe one tampon. Um, and a lot of women, are, they're given money, but their primary focus or the priority is food. How can I get food? It might be well, How can I get the thing that helps me cope? Which might be drugs. It might be cigarette. It might be cigarettes. It might be alcohol. Then shelter. Then lastly, sanitary products. You're ration. A lot of them ration. Um, and so you'll find women will use a sanitary product and reuse it so you're supposed to use a tampon I think it's well I think max three hours and definitely only once and definitely <laughs> only once some women may use it for half a day a whole day and the alternative is not wearing a sanitary product not wearing a towel or tampon and then going into shops getting tissue trying to get tissue to fold it up in your underwear if they have underwear it's the fact that they don't Necessarily have regular access to toilet roll or to wipes, and when you're bleeding, especially if you're a malnutri- you're trying to your your nutrition is down, your bleeding will differ. So it might be might be very heavy, might be very light. Um, you may have extremely painful cramps, and you can't get hold of anything to comfort you: paracetamols, ibuprofen, whatever it might be. And so for a lot of these women, it's a case of. What's the most important thing for me right now? My periods are irregular anyway because I'm not eating properly or I'm not able to take care of myself and my body. So, well, I might have a period for maybe three months. It's cool. It's fine when it comes. Yeah, I'll be in agony, but at least I'll have somewhere to stay or at least I'll have food. A lot of the women were saying, that, you know, with regards to, like, sexual health, pff, what's that? So that I can have a hot bath or a hot shower so that I can be as clean as possible for whenever my period comes or whenever... I next need to find shelter.
4: So do you mean that some women selling sex or selling sexual favors or sexual services? Yeah, for hygiene.
3: For hygiene, for shelter, for food, for for some form of safety that isn't out in the open in the streets, or it's the, or as I consider it, the illusion of safety because yeah. you're going into a stranger's home. So most of the most women I, I've met have said, yeah, one night stands and I think if it means a warm bed, if it means hot something, why not? And it's the other element of it, the mental um, health side of it and how it how that contributes to how these women are able to then almost be re-immersed back in society. You know, because everyone's like, oh, you know, as long as they've got shelter, as long as we give them a hostel, as long as, you know, we equip them with qualifications, let's get them into a project or a group, they'll be fine. That's all well and good. But in regards to them being an active member of society and being a part of the community as a whole, we're scraping the surface.
4: Have you ever found anyone using anything other than a sanitary item
3: Oh yeah, to control their period? Ah, to control it. Well, there was a story about a woman who was on the pill, but then accessing the pill is another thing.
4: Yeah, I wanted to ask about this because isn't the pill free? In it? I know in mm-hmm. America it's not, you have to pay for it, yeah. but in England it's free
3: to a certain extent
4: but you also need an address don't you to get the pill because you need to be registered to a doctor's Mm
3: -hmm. yeah so in like say for example boots most wouldn't give it simply because like you mentioned no permanent address but there are shelters and projects that have a sexual health clinic for the sole purpose of supporting homeless people the issue is many homeless women don't know about it you would be surprised at the number of men you have coming in to get condoms coming in for the hot teas and breakfasts and stuff, coming in to have checks and coming back to get the results and how many women, in contrast, walk through those doors. But women don't know about them. So many homeless people do not know about them. Or if they do, they're like, oh. you know, by the time I get there, it'll be closed, all the resources and a lot of places are getting shut down. So if you used to go to to a particular place and it's not there anymore... You've not been given any information about where else you can go.
4: And then how do you find them? Because everything's on the internet nowadays. Oh, yeah. And if you're homeless, you probably don't have a phone or yeah. access to internet.
3: Some homeless people do have phones, but access to the internet is a totally different yeah. kettle of fish. Yeah. It's a totally different thing. And um, it's weird because we, as a society, say we want to help, but we put help in places that the helpless cannot reach. Is it
2: partly because... These organisations don't want to be seen to be promoting sexual health that they make available for women on the street and also women don't want to be associated with homelessness.
3: I think it's a combination of both. And also, it's no longer when you're like... Not that it's no longer, but when you think about it, picture yourself, girls, homeless. So right now, your like important things, your priorities would be like this, the podcast, family, friends, work, your phone, making sure your phone's charged, lunch, dinner... Food actually would actually be quite far on the list. But when you become homeless, you have no contact for whatever that reason that might be with those who are close to you, who are your support system. You literally only have what you're wearing now. And that in itself is wet, stained. It smells for whatever reason. You're able to like maybe like wash your armpits, give your lady garden a bit of a clean. Sexual health no longer becomes something that worries you. I think for some of them and I'm I'm not saying this is for all because obviously I can't speak on behalf of all homeless and vulnerable women, but for some of them it's a case of this is small fish in comparison to the things I need to do and whilst it would be nice to go and get the pill when it would be nice to get checked and it would be nice to have sanitary products right now I need warmth. Right now I need food. I haven't eaten in two days. I need water or I need drinks. Like people have given me money, but you know, I might For whatever reason, I might owe someone some money that they lent me last time. And the thing is, when you are homeless, your word is so important. And if you're not able to do that, you make yourself even more vulnerable on top of being a woman, unfortunately.
2: So as the homeless period, you don't provide access to sexual health services?
3: No, we don't. Not at present. We were definitely supporting other networks that do so. But... At present, no, that's not, it's not something we're pushing. But we are definitely supporting and in, in helping in educating homeless women about the places and spaces that are safe for them. Some homeless people look at things as, how can I sell this on? How can I monetize this thing?
4: It's totally unrelated, but I just <laughs> kind of want to put it into context. With You see this behaviour in Orange the New Black TV shows and, and mm-hmm. prisons where people bargain with yeah. not money, but other commodities. Yeah, and services
3: yeah, and stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's similar... Just without the Hollywood glamour. Yeah.
2: If you guys see a homeless woman on the street, would it be best to give her money or sanitary items? Or, you know, the stereotype that they always spend it on, on drugs,
3: mm-hmm. which is something that I'm sure isn't true, but... Not everybody who you give money to on the street will go and use it for drugs. Some people are very honest and they'll say, look, I don't want money for food, I want money for booze. Um, but we always advise, along with um, Shelter and you know other homeless charities, to give homeless people food give them products if they say they need money for an oyster card top up the oyster card only because if we truly want to help and support people we have to make sure that our help doesn't enable them to continue the cycle women regardless of whatever food i give them i always try and give at least a sanitary product with that
4: the people that you work with how do you know any uh, anything about why they've become homeless
3: Some of the women I've spoke, what, women specifically or just people who are homeless in general?
4: I guess in general, but also women, because I'm interested to know how people end up homeless. I think people would assume that if you've got family, you've always got somewhere to go to. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if there's any like stigmas or stereotypes or things, you know, that we need to break down and educate people about how people can become homeless.
3: You can have family and still be very homeless and not be an addict. (sighs) Some of the stories that I've heard, not personally, that I've received, Um, That I've heard is that you know people have come to London doing well for themselves lost their job lost their flat because they couldn't keep up with the rent stayed on sofas obviously not trying to outstay their welcome with friends and go one night and then all of a sudden they have no money and they're asking borrowing money from friends and not wanting to go back to the same places and their phone gets disconnected and there they are with no one. And, you know, some people said, oh, yeah, but why can't you just go back to your friend's house? Surely they'll sort you out. There's a pride that we have as people. And even in our most desperate situations, we're still like, I don't want them to see me like this. I'll be fine. And then before you know it, the worst happens. And you've lost contact with these people, regardless of whether you have family or friends. Like family may know that you're in the city and your phone, like I said, once your phone dies, what then? It's fine. They'll come looking for me or whatever. And before you know it, it's been two months, it's been three months, it's been a year, and it's now become your norm. You're now surviving as opposed to living. And most of those stories are, I was doing OK, and then I missed one payment. So it's it's not all druggies and alcoholics.
4: In your experience, is there any particular demographic that tends to be more likely to be homeless
3: it can be anyone and everyone
4: anyone and everyone okay
3: and i i've seen everyone anyone and everyone i've seen people who are lawyers who were the bees knees and then all of a sudden they're they're homeless sitting next to somebody who might have been born on a council estate it's anyone homelessness isn't isn't picky oh you know poverty doesn't care it's the moment you have no address that's the moment you have effectively seconds, minutes before you disappear and you're lost, untraceable. Nobody can track you down, nobody can support you and help you. I'm being so honest because people have an idea of homelessness and vulnerability and an assumption and that's what's stopping us from helping people effectively. Is this why the homeless period, you were drawn to it? Partially because of my own experience, but not really. More so because I'm like a massive advocate for women in general and supporting women in places where, I say, society systems don't. And so that particular element, you know, with regards to our menstrual cycle and tampon tax and all the rest of it, there's not much in the way of help there. It was more so the fact that there needed to be more hands working on this particular issue than my own personal experience. But my admiration and love for homeless people is definitely from my own personal experience and my humanity.
2: You talked a little bit about the cost for, of sanitary items for the people who organise human trafficking mm-hmm. and also the cost and how that affects the priorities for, for people on the street. If the tampon tax was removed, so it was a little bit cheaper, mm-hmm. would this have any effect, do you think, on anything that you're having to deal with day to day?
3: Well, it would definitely have an effect. It would have a positive effect. However, it would still not be considered a necessity. It would still be considered a luxury. It's a luxury item. That's what it's, it's taxed at, and that's where it's placed at as a luxury item. And I think before we see the biggest effect or the most, you know, the biggest impact, before we can see that, it needs to be moved to necessity. Mm. Like once it drops into that category, we will see an, an immense change once the um, NHS decide to start distributing tampons and sanitary products as freely as they do condoms and condoms, (laughs) (laughs) that's when we'll start to see less charities and less projects like the homeless period in place because people will know I can get my sanitary product from the local walk-in and it makes no sense that I can go and get a condom to protect me from an STI Or pregnancy, 99.9%. But I can't go into that same place and get something that is a life necessity for me as a woman and there's nothing, there's nothing like that's being pushed through by the government and by the NHS in the way of supporting that element and that part of society because, hey, we're women.
4: And I think it's really interesting and important to point out that you can... Yeah, you, like you said you can get condoms for free and it's like why can you get condoms for free because babies cost the government money mm-hmm. and who is in government men. men and so well of course they're not going to they don't know about periods because they don't have them exactly. and I guarantee if there was more women in power or if men had periods oh, sanitary gosh. items would be free there'd be toilets all over the place oh yeah you know?
3: and I think as well I found what was it I found that um, the services for homeless people are male dominated and male orientated because figures show that there are more homeless men than there are homeless women but figures only show that because homeless women have to adapt their homelessness to their surroundings their circumstance and their safety so there are a lot of homeless women who may not necessarily identify as a homeless woman but they're homeless and they know they're homeless again that level of vulnerability can't be shared almost
2: how can we be allies or support the homeless period and the kind of work that you're doing and actually be an ally to just anybody that we see
3: um, on the street? Asking them, are they okay? Do you need any sanitary products? That's just for any random you know, woman that you might see. If they don't speak English, go on your phones. We've got phones. Bring up an image in Google Image. Type in Tampon. We don't encourage giving out medicine, so like ibuprofen and paracetamol solely because, again... Not trying to encourage destructive cycles. With regards to supporting homeless period, will we have different sites all over the world at the minute? California, we have a site in Lincoln, in Liverpool, in the West Midlands, in Edinburgh, as well as in London. So it's connecting with them, donating sanitary products, um, your time, even you know, saying you know what, I will help to make up these bags, or you know, I'm willing to donate. Like we've all got GoFundMe. Um, accounts for donations, and those donations go towards building the packages. So buying the bags that they go into, and the extra bits that that aren't donated goes towards driving or, or taking the tube for like three massive black bin liners to these charities to drop them off at shelters and projects and stuff like that, so that they can be distributed. So in whatever way, it might be you have connections with universities, you might be a uni student and you're interested in being a rep, we are looking to connect with as many people as we can because if we're all working together, then we're able to meet as more people. And if we're able to meet more people, then there will be less homeless women, less vulnerable women without the basic need of sanitary products.
4: Is there anything that you want to plug,
3: anything that you're working on, or if you just want to plug The Homeless Period, this is your opportunity? Connect with The Homeless Period online, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, the London site, which is the one I coordinate, is at HP underscore London. That's an L-O-N-D-O-N. Myself, you can follow me, which my handles are at J-U-S-T, J-U-M-I. Um, that's on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. I have an event. So as I mentioned earlier, I run an arts night and loads of other nights, but an arts night is what I run um, bimonthly. And we have the next one at the end of September. And we encourage our, our audience to bring in sanitary products and towels and stuff like that. And often it's like the, a lot of the men who come, they're like, I really felt awkward going into Poundland and buying a one pound pack of tampons or like body form towels. And I was like, imagine having to do that every single month <laughs> and spending five quid just in case. So, you know, we're encouraging people to come to that. That's on the 30th of September it's poetry it's live music there's live art there's film as well like a short film or documentary that we show and it's just uber relaxed you can find all the information for that on my handle if you follow me and just support so type in homeless period so if you're listening across the waters or if you're listening over you know in another part of the UK and this speaks to you you want to be a part of this the women who effectively head this up are amazing women who genuinely believe in working together to work with everyone. So please contact us, contact me and let's let's build. Yay.
2: Thank you for being such a brilliant guest. We really, really appreciate it. Oh, like no you're a kick ass.
3: Oh, thanks, girls. Yeah, no, you've been brilliant. lovely and with what you're doing, please like keep touching on unspoken um, topics and challenge thoughts and challenge minds and really, really like go ham <laughs> with it go ham um, girls because there's so much that you're doing and there's so much more and i'm looking forward to hearing more about what you guys are doing and mm. how far you reach
4: oh thanks
2: boom thanks for listening to kicking the karaoke podcast chatting about the red army
4: as usual if you want to get in contact with us you can find us on twitter at kickkariarchy
2: you can email us at kickingthekariarchy at gmail.com
4: You can find us on our Kick-Ass website, www.kickingthekariarchy.org.
2: Or you can check out our Facebook page, Kicking the Kariarchy. You know where to find us. Come say hi and tell us what you thought about flying the Japanese flag. Cool. Sid, I think it's time that we go to the Red Wedding.